Welcome to the Stories of Transformation podcast. I'm your host, Bakhtash Ahadi. Each week I dive into deep and intimate conversations with distinguished guests who share their unique perspectives about the most interesting topics of our time. In this episode, I'm in conversation with Sultan Saud Al-Qasimi, who is an Emirati columnist, lecturer, and researcher whose articles have appeared in the Financial Times, The Independent, The Guardian, The New York Times, The Global, just to name a few. Sultan is also a prolific commentator on Arab affairs on Twitter. Notably, Sultan's also the founder of the Barjil Art Foundation, which is an independent initiative established in 2010 to contribute to the intellectual development of the art scene in the Arab region by building a prominent and publicly accessible art collection in the UAE. In 2018, a hundred works from the collection were hosted on a long-term basis at the Sharjah Art Museum. I had this conversation with Sultan in his beautiful home in Dubai in the UAE. We discussed the importance of art and cultures around the world, as well as the many different layers that a piece can be appreciated, as well as how art can speak for people where politics and public perception fail to. Lastly, we discuss how Sultan aims to use his influence to enlighten, educate, and inspire equity for art around the world. It was a delight to step into Sultan's world and understand how he uses art to help others better understand the greater Middle East and the Arab world. Thank you, Sultan, for this opportunity. For those of you that enjoy this conversation, please share it far and wide. So without further delay, I bring you Sultan Al-Qasimi. Sultan Qasimi, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Thank you. I'm very good. Great. Sultan, just to kind of get this conversation started, just so we kind of set the stage, where are we sitting right now? Um, you are sitting in uh, my home in Dubai, Jumeirah 3 district to be exact. It is a uh, pair of houses that were designed in 2002 by an Iranian architect called Amir Rahbar. They are styled in a very modernist manner. They're twin houses, but they look like they complement each other. And uh, they're really, uh, I think, some of the most beautiful houses I've seen in Dubai. I didn't design them, so I get to see that. Well, as somebody who's been a guest in your in your home now for a few days, I can say that it's eloquent, elegant, and minimalistic. So, Sultan, what I would love to do is just to kind of start this conversation by asking you, in your own words, how do you sort of define who you are? Okay, how do I define who I am? Wow. I think I, I define myself at different phases of my life in a different way. Uh, obviously, in my teen years, uh, as I was finishing university, I was a student. But then my father fell ill in uh, the, the last year of university. And for the next eight years, I was a son and almost nothing else. So I had minimal contact with my friends. Everything in my life revolved around being a son to my father. And then uh, after my father uh, passed away, I sort of inherited the management of the family business. And so I became sort of a, a manager, an administrator of my father's estate. Uh, and then the Arab Spring started. And I saw myself as an, not an activist, but somebody who really cared about, and I still care about, the, the general um, condition of the Arab world, whether it is political or cultural. And then finally, over the past four years, I see myself as an educator. So when you ask me, uh, how do you define yourself? It's very difficult for me to say I'm this or that because I feel I'm an, a little bit of me stays, right? A little bit of the sun stays and a little bit of the activist stays and a little bit of 
the CEO or the managing director stays. Although at this point in time, teaching at university, I feel like I'm more an educator than anything else. That's wonderful. I think what's interesting about identity is that depending on who asks and sort of what you're kind of thinking about and the role that you're in at that current moment, the question elicits the thing that people ask most of you in that current moment, right? So in the context of the void that you fill today, it's this idea of being an educator, right? In terms of helping the outside world better understand the Arab world. And so I'd love to kind of talk to you about how you use art specifically as a window to better understand the Arab world. Help us understand how you do that and help us understand why you do that. So uh, by upbringing, by heritage, uh, and by choice, I am a pan-Arabist. I'm someone who believes that the Arab world is a, is a great, grand project. Uh, and I don't believe that it died with the death of Gamal Abdel Nasser. I believe that it uh, morphed, that Gamal Abdel Nasser's vision was a political union. But my vision, uh, if I may have one at uh, my very small uh, scale, is a more of a cultural pan-Arabism. It's a pan-Arabism of the 21st century, as I say sometimes. And I believe that uh, one of the mistakes that we committed in the 20th century is the little regard we had for our minorities. So how we treated the minorities of the Arab world, I think, was something that was uh, not to be proud of at all. It was something that we need to revise and we need to make sure that these mistakes uh, are never repeated because all these communities are what forms the Arab world. So whether they are the Christians or the Jews or the Baha'is or, or, or the Shia or the African Arabs or the Persian Arabs or the Amazigh Arabs and the Turkmen Arabs and all these, they are the, the part of the mosaic of the Arab world. And because we were not proud of them, you see the genocides happening, the genocides of the, um, the Nubians or the genocides of all these different minorities in Iraq that we hear uh, ISIS go after because they, felt they, they appear to others as being outsiders, which is not right. And so I see myself as someone who uh, believes in this greater vision of the Arab world and I want to export it. I remember once I met Bill Clinton uh, in about 2005 or six, and he told me once the best way to protect your culture is to share it. I mean, I have many problems with Bill Clinton, but that was a very nice uh, thing that still stayed with me. I think everything else he said didn't stick with me. But this thing, uh, I really agree with. And I also believe in, uh, in what Spider-Man comics said. <laughs> sure. With great power comes great responsibility. And I don't say that I have great power, but I, I do believe I have a degree of influence. Uh, an influence that I worked on nurturing, whether it's during the Arab Spring or whenever. And so what do I do with this, this reach that I have, the thousands of followers that I have uh, online? Again, I, I don't mean to project myself in any, any way, but rather than tweet or post negative things, I see myself as only posting positive things because I feel the world is full of negativity. So I think that more of us should be posting positive messages, even though we should acknowledge that there's negativity, yes, but there's also a lot of positives. No, I think that's right. I think it's fair that if there is a negative, there's also a positive. So that the yin and the yang. I think what's interesting about human beings is that we're very, very, very intelligent. And so we know when something is not completely complete. And I think that's the work that you do is you provide this idea of 
the picture in the mosaic of the greater Middle East being more complete. What I'm interested to kind of explore is why choose the medium of art to teach? Why choose the medium of art to educate? What is it about art in particular that allows you to allow for this more complete picture of the greater Middle East? Well, the, uh, this, the story of uh, my region can be told in many ways. You can learn it through um, literature, through poetry, through architecture, something I'm also interested in, through politics, unfortunately, most of it is very dismal. And so art is another avenue to learn about the, the Middle East. Yes, you can read our books, uh, but you can also look at our artworks, whether they are monuments or paintings or sculptures. I'm also interested in music. I'm interested in film. And so this region, whether it's Iran, whether it's Iraq, whether it's... I look at Afghanistan as an extension of my region. I look at Turkey, of course, as an extension of my region. Uh, and so all these states in a way complement my personality and my identity. East Africa, for instance, North Africa, all these regions complement my identity. South Asia, of course, India, Pakistan, very important to my identity. The Baluch uh, of, uh, of South Asia are also important to my identity. So what can we say about these, uh, these groups? What can we say through art that the politicians have failed to convey through their policies or through their statements? We can say that there was coexistence. We can say that these minorities were there. We can say that they produced and they complemented life. They really added beauty to life. And I always say they added strength to strength. Uh, and so they added more layers to the complexity that the Arab world and the Middle East and South Asia are. I'm proud of all these groups. And I feel like it is not a blind pride. It's not a pride that is based on some kind of uh, ego or some kind of arrogance. It is a pride having spent more than a decade learning about this culture, realizing how rich it is and how diverse it is. And I feel like I need to push it and not just display it. It has to be shown. It can't just be collected. It must be exhibited. It can't just be written about. It should be published. It should be made available and accessible to others. And I feel like my personality, had I been born in East Asia, had I been born in Latin America, I would still have the same enthusiasm for my part of the world. I would still want people to learn and study and appreciate art of my region. So let's talk about the exhibition of your work, of your artwork, in the context of your museum. You were very gracious to kind of take me and some friends of yours to your museum recently, and you told us about all the different pieces that you've collected throughout the years. And my observation of you during this whole uh, experience was that you were not only in your flow state, but you were also extremely passionate about describing the stories behind these works. You would tell us about the artwork, but then you would tell us the stories behind them, right? So I'm curious to know, wh what's more interesting? Is it the actual artwork that's stunning in itself, or is it the story behind it that adds to the layer of appreciation that you have for it? So... I would say that uh, these are all complementary stories, right? That, they, that the story of the artist is level one. Level two is the story of the art uh, work or the theme within the artwork. Another level is the story of, the, uh, of acquiring the work. Because, you know, this could be through an auction or through a gallery or through finding it in uh, somebody's home or of almost uh, nagging the, the artist to sell you the work uh, for years and years until they agree. And so uh, I think all these add different l layers to the story of the artwork finally being placed in the museum. So 
this is the difference between a public collection and a private collection. A public collection, you can almost, uh, I mean, it's very difficult for you to learn the story of uh, the artwork. If you go to a museum in New York, you will see painting, gift of such and such fund or gift of such and such collector, which is wonderful, but you don't really hear how the collector found the work and when they bought it and how much they bought it for. And being somebody who's been buying work for the past two decades almost, I realize that there's a significance to these stories. Uh, for instance, uh, the, the story of how we ended up collecting the work of a female Egyptian artist uh, who passed away about 10, 15 years ago. Uh, the fact that I had to go online on Twitter and ask, can someone tell me about a female artist in Egypt? Uh, and then this individual replies and says, I used to live in Cairo in the 1990s, and uh, my neighbor was an important artist. And so she gave me that contact email of her daughter who had left Egypt many years ago when her mother passed away, moved to Canada. And so reaching out to that, uh, the daughter of this important artist, we discovered that she had displayed in uh, the Sao Paulo Art Biennial. And then she won the Ljubljana Art Biennial. And so this was a very accomplished artist who studied at a Slade School in London in the 1950s. And so she was forgotten like many other women artists of the world. And so it was important to find her work, acquire the work, display the work, commission essays and writings about a new writing about the, the work. So I think this story has a lot of value, at least in my opinion. I might be wrong, but I'd like to hear about how other pieces made it to museums. Because if you think about it, we value a lot of Western art Partly because of the story of the artist. Yes, the quality of the art is magnificent. But when someone tells you this painting by Van Gogh was done by this guy who was Dutch, who had some kind of personality disorder, ended up cutting off his ear, uh, goes into a, a, an asylum, uh, and there's a story that's so much more interesting. Because you know about the story of the artist, you want to go to the museum and see the, the artwork by the gentleman who 120 years ago chopped off his ear. So how do we write our own stories? And not, of them, not all of them are as tragic as that story, of course. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. I think what's interesting is data and figures and structures and things that are tangible are, are interesting, but I think what really speaks to our soul is the story behind those things, right? And that's kind of what you're alluding uh, to. If I may add, uh, so in, in my world, my network extends beyond the Gulf, beyond the Middle East, beyond the Arab world. I'm in touch with scholars who study Africa, scholars who study South Asia, scholars who study other parts of West Asia. I am more interested in what they have to say, in Latin America, of course, than, than the scholars who are studying Western European art or North American art. I do recognize its value, but I would rather learn about um, a Malaysian artist than I learn about uh, another French artist or I'd rather learn about an artist from Pakistan or from uh, Uganda or oh, Ethiopia, for example, one of my favorite countries in the world for art, or Iran. And so one of the, one of the collectives that I, I follow is a, a collective of young Afghan activists. They're activists who are trying to research and archive Afghan culture. And, uh, and unfortunately, over the past 20 or even 30 years, when you hear about Afghanistan, a certain image uh, appears in your mind, which is unfair and, and not correct. And it will take, it takes sort of an army of activists, cultural activists to change that image. And so even with these young uh, fellows that uh, are uh, 
today sharing Afghan art and culture on their uh, on their Instagram feed. So far, it's just an Instagram feed, but it's going to grow. It's going to become a movement. And so they share images, for example, of an exhibition in the 1940s by a woman artist in Kabul. And so that kind of image completely changes your perception of what Kabul is or what Kabul was. And it's important, yes, to show that there is conflict and there is uh, sadness. But there's also a lot of beauty and there's a lot of legacy and there's a lot of history and a lot of art. So I think to have a well-rounded vision, you have to show both sides. People have to be able to see the beauty. But without these young kids, how would I know about uh, these, these initiatives and these exhibitions that took place 70, 80 years ago? No, that's exactly right. There's a sense of responsibility to wanting to show other people what exactly your heritage has to offer. So I'm curious to know how you kind of see art, Sultan. Um, you know, in your own line of work, not only do you collect and you share the stories and you, and you teach about art as a window through the greater Middle East, the greater Arab world, what is your favorite type of art? What's your favorite type of creative expression? I'm definitely a person who leans more towards painting, especially oil on canvas and wood sculpture. These are the two forms of art that I like. Once you go into other forms of sculpture, like bronze and stone, my interest significantly diminishes. I'm not saying it's not beautiful, but that's where my heart skips a beat when I see wooden sculpture. Because I know that the person, you know, used their hands uh, in molding the artwork. It happens with stone. It happens with marble. Um, less so, of course, with bronze. But... Uh, but with wood, you know that this person spent hours and hours and days maybe creating this artwork. And oil is the, my favorite medium to view art and to see the application of paint on the canvas. That's my favorite. It again goes diminishes if you look at uh, watercolor on paper, for instance. Now, what do these two forms of art work in you? Like when you see them and you and you think about them, what exactly surfaces as you kind of experience them? Well, I'm always curious about texture. And so I feel like my eyes pop out a little bit just to, just to examine the, uh, the, uh, the colors. I'm interested in, uh, in the age of the painting. So I'm curious to see the year because I like to see uh, how oil had changed color over decades. I'm interested in seeing um, the back of the painting. That's always maybe as exciting for me as the front of the painting, see the back. Now tell us why. What's curious about because that? Because the, the back of the painting is like the soul of the human being, right? And it stores all your experiences. As then you might change, but your, your, your soul is the same soul, right? And so the back of the painting usually has the history of the artwork. Sometimes you find stickers of exhibitions where it's been shown. Sometimes you have um, the overflow of the paint that went from the canvas and you see the mistakes. Sometimes you almost see the attempts of recoloring that the artist went through and so, or, the, or the artist painting over a figure that was there before and you see the remnants of that figure in the back of the painting. Um, the wrapping, the exhibition history, there's so much you can learn from the back of a painting. And I will show you, one second, can I, can I put you here on hold? I sure. want to show you something. So sure, this is sure. going to make some noise. Sure. At this point in the conversation, Sultan steps away from the microphone to show me a particular painting. Okay. Yeah. It's a complete masterpiece, actually. Wow. Although I don't know the name of the painting, 
It's a piece that I would describe as impressionist with a woman who's topless using dark colors with this woman staring into her own sadness. It's a, it's a piece in itself. I see now. I see now. And you have the original title of the work by the artist from the 1950s. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So this is why the back of the painting is very important. If you'd like to see this particular painting yourself, check out the show notes for a direct link to the digital scan of the painting. I've never heard somebody share it with such eloquence before in such descriptive language. And now I completely understand the beauty of it. I really like that. While you're there, feel free to check out the rest of Sultan's extensive collection on his Art Foundation's official digital library. So the back of the painting is really where the soul of the, the painting re resides, is what you're saying? Yes, I think before acquiring a work, you need to see both sides of the painting, the front and the back, for you to really grasp the idea. It also can tell you a lot about authenticity of the work, because if the canvas is brand new, and they tell you that this is a work from the 1970s, then you can tell that this is not a 45-year-old canvas, mm -hmm. because the, the oil can cover the age of the, uh, the, from the front. But in the back, no, you can't. Really interesting, really interesting. Now, in your opinion, in your experience, what was the piece that really changed your life? Like, what was the piece that had you really fall in love with art, in particular painting, that made you kind of really say, okay, this is the, this is the space that I want to work on. This is something really special. This is where I should focus all of my energy. Man, I think... In 2002, I took my late father and my mom to an exhibition of a Palestinian uh, couple called Ismail Shammut and Tamam Al-Akhal. It was a show here in Dubai at the Chamber of Commerce. And uh, that was my introduction to Arab art or art from the region. I didn't know that we had this kind of art. This couple had shown works from uh, Palestine from the 1950s, 60s, 70s. And it was my dad who started explaining to me who these figures are. This is Yasser Arafat, and this is the such and such leader from Palestine. And this woman symbolizes uh, the Virgin Mary who was uh, in, uh, in Palestine, in Nazareth. All these histories that I saw my mom and my dad talk about these artworks because they related to them and they understood them. And I think that was sort of my introduction. And I realized that there's so much to tell about the story of the region through art. And so I don't remember which specific artwork it was, but that is where my eyes sort of opened up a little, a little bit more when it came to uh, my region's art. And then it was a journey, uh, Bakhtash, of uh, several years of uncovering and learning about art from the region. I made a lot of mistakes. I bought artworks that for today, for me, hold much less value than they did 10 years ago. I didn't know that this is not an important phase of this artist. I didn't care that I was buying, acquiring, or appreciating a specific phase in an artist's history. I didn't know this was a thing. I didn't know that, you know, certain artists, if you buy an artwork from the 1980s, it's more important because that is the period in which they were doing something, I don't know, such and such. So you, so the more you learn, the more you know, and then, you, and then the value of the work changes, right? So, uh, or the scarcity value. That, uh, that you saw one of the paintings when you visited the museum. And that uh, artwork was of uh, 10 or 12 horses, 10 horses uh, mourning the loss of uh, one of their companions. And they're painted in white, and it's a magnificent artwork. Uh, that 
series is more important than any other series that artists created. Kazem uh, Haider from uh, from Iraq, and so it's important for collectors or the general public to learn about the artist's history. And this way, you can appreciate the artworks of a specific period more than another period. No, understood, understood. And so as you're kind of talking about all these different pieces, what's really interesting is how passionate you become. And so what I'd like to kind of hear you kind of talk about is what has art done for you in terms of how it's changed your life specifically? How has art transformed your life? I mean, it made me much more confident about my region. I had lost faith in my region at one point in time. I was, if you saw, if you had read my diary, I've kept a diary for 27 years. So I've kept a diary I write daily. And I, I didn't have a lot of faith in my region. I was very angry. And I was, I was writing things about, you know, how depressing this region is and how little there is for me to be proud of it. And then through art and culture, I realized that, no, I was mistaken. I have so much to be proud of. And this was a journey of self-discovery. And you know, Bakhtash, just a few weeks ago, I had a dinner here in my house in Dubai, and there was this young consultant from a neighboring country, and he had come to the house, and a very sweet young man, maybe in his late 20s, and he said, I can't wait to go back to America. And I said, why? He goes, because there's culture there everywhere. And I said, let's have a conversation. This is in the middle of a, a, a gathering of about 15 people. We sat, him and I, and I told him, you need to be proud of your region. Do you know that we exhibited art in the 40s? Do you know that we had all these pioneers? Do you know that we had these, developed these movements? Do you know that you shouldn't compare like for like? What well, doesn't matter to us if the Europeans or, or went through a Dadaist movement. So what? We have our own movements that we are proud of. We have our Sakakhana. We have our Hurufism. We have our Crystalist movement. We have our One Dimension. We have our own movements. And so... You need to learn about your own history and sort of stop comparing everything like for like. If I was a, a global power in the turn of the century from the Middle East and I went and I conquered Europe and I took away and stole all their treasures and moved them to a country in the Middle East, guess which one would be a rich, wealthy, prosperous country today? So it's, it's important to contextualize history when one says, in Europe or America, there's so much more history. Yes, because there was so much more stealing going around. And there was so much more telling about it and, and, and the idea of you know, the printing press and who had access to it and who had access to the power and all of that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so what I'm hearing you say then, Sultan, is that, that art in itself transformed you because it gave you confidence to better not only understand your region, but also share how wonderfully beautiful it is. And not only be content, but be proud, Right. To be proud. And you know, uh, Bakhtash, a lot of people tell me, uh, do you, have you heard of uh, such and such artist? And I say, no, I, I haven't. And they say, oh, well, how do you pretend to be someone who knows so much about art and you haven't heard of this artist? He or she were very important. And I tell them, why do you take it as a negative? In fact, I'm happy to tell you that I know 500 artists and there's another 500 or another 5,000 that I don't know about. In fact, I see it as a positive thing. I see it as someone who spent two decades reading about art from the region and still not knowing how vast and how deep and how wide and how diverse this region is. And so I always like it when people introduce me. Sometimes there's a bit of shock or astonishment in their look. They think that, um, you know, maybe this artist is not worth learning about, which is not the case. 
Every year I learn about five or 10 or 20 important artists that are worth collecting, worth displaying, worth writing about, worth knowing about, worth uh, interviewing. I didn't know about Abdel Ghaffar Shadid, an Egyptian modernist, until a few months ago. Today we own one of his artworks. I interviewed him. I'm trying to see if we can acquire another work. So this is in fact a learning process that even someone like me who is almost a veteran of the Middle East art scene is still uncovering and trying to learn about. uh, And I think it's a wonderful journey. What a wonderful perspective to share that. The fact that you don't know an artist is actually positive because it not only indicates that you're still learning, but it also indicates that there's so much more to discover. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love that. Now, Sultan, you've been really gracious with your time, so I just want to, as we kind of close this conversation, there is one thing I'd like to ask you. This is a question that I'd like to ask everybody. And so what is your message for the world? My message to the world is that we are all equal, but we are all really equal. We are not just equal in, in the things that they want to see us equal in. We are equal in every sense, that culture belongs to everybody, and that our art is worth just as much as your art in the West. Not more, not less. Uh, In fact, maybe for me, I'm a bit more impressed with the art that comes out from here, uh, only because I have my biases. But in reality, art from South Korea is as beautiful as art from China, as beautiful as art from India, as beautiful as art from Uganda, as beautiful as art from Brazil. And yes, America and Europe and elsewhere. And so I really think that we all deserve our moments to shine. We all deserve to be shown. We all deserve to be read about and written about. And we all deserve to be acknowledged and recognized and celebrated. And so my role here is if I can advance this message by even a centimeter, I would feel that as though I have accomplished something. And so this is my message to the world is that give us a chance. Let us prove how beautiful our art is. And let us prove how important and how significant and how we complement the mosaic that is the global art culture. I think that's wonderful. Sultan Qasmi, thank you for being the light in the darkness and thank you for the work that you do. Thank you so much, Bakhtash Ahadi. If you enjoyed this conversation, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, please share it far and wide. This podcast is made possible by a superb group of individuals. Specifically, this podcast was produced by Joe Ganjemi. Digital marketing by Catherine Ahn. Artwork by Mashida Hadi. And theme music by Kais Esar. You can find us online via Stories of Transformation on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we have an online community named the Stories of Transformation Group. In this group, we discuss topics related to human condition. Please join us. We'd love your engagement. Thank you for your support and see you next time.